Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Move your webcam down just a little yes, bit. Yes, of course. So- that's good. It's like a little bit above your head. So we've got a bit of space above your head, but we can still see. You did that so subtly. Yeah, you look wonderful. You could have said, look, you've messed up yet another technological issue here. Your webcam's pointing down your nose. You know, can you move it, please? <laughs> you said it so nicely. I think you're, you're such a nice bedside manner. Thank you. Thank you, you could have been a doctor. Apart from my extreme squeamishness about any blood oh, or guts that, or anything like you that. You might have overcome that, though. You'd have been a very good doctor. You're very kind, you see. But I'm easily exhausted by people, which probably isn't a great uh, quality in a doctor. I think Although no a... obstacle to some of the doctors I've met. Most underrated virtue, kindness. Yeah, kindness, I think, is an underrated virtue. But it's funny how much of a thing bedside manner is. I mean, it's interesting. My mum was in the Royal Free over Christmas, and they were just incredibly kind. The, the thing, I main thing I remember about the issue, these various, she's glad, I'm, you know, thankfully she's out now, but and was out within a few days. But they were just incredibly kind, a particularly kind set of, nurses and and doctors actually yeah i had a procedure this week i had heavy sedation to have my finger straightened out oh which i'm still working on but i was just struck by how brilliant everybody is and and is that something i'd be interested to know is that a personality type is drawn to that job is it something that is screened out if you don't have that personality type or is bedside manner in any way part of training for doctors and nurses probably some combination of the three do you think yeah, I'd be interested to know well, like, what if you, you have a real passion for health and helping people and, and medicine, but you had a really unappealing personality, would you be screened out? I do think as I've got older, I've thought small acts of kindness are a sort of underrated thing. It's, yeah. You know, it's a totally free good. It's how you make the world a better place, isn't it? I know it sounds trite, but it's that thing that if, if yeah. when you interact with the person you're buying your coffee from in the morning, if you just find it in you to be friendly and, ah. and give a smile, then, then their world is ah. going to feel like a slightly less cynical and hard place and they'll pass that on to the next person and so that's on. A, that's, that's featured on an episode of Shrinking. Is My favourite really? television programme. I'm yes. sorry, I know you gave me the homework to watch Shrinking, but I don't worry. have not had time yet, but I'm going to. No, don't um, worry. But we, we, we should ask our listeners, what is the most underrated virtue in the world? Or ideas for tiny acts of kindness. Are there little things that you make a habit of doing that perhaps nobody notices? They're like little micro things, but you feel that it's uh, a way in which you're making the world a slightly better place. And I know people don't like to brag about this stuff. Nobody wants to email in and tell us what a great person they are. But or think- Think of it more as passing on your ideas to other people. And um, do you think there's a generic acts of kindness you're talking about? Maybe people have invented specific things. I, when I find that when I'm talking to a call center and people, and, uh, and you know, sometimes they can be very frustrating experiences, and sometimes they can be better experiences. I am always very keen to be particularly grateful to people in call centers who yes. uh, do well because you really notice the difference if they're helpful yeah you do you do i'll tell you something that i picked up off my wife and it is the tiniest thing and it sounds like a nothing 
But wherever I go, the first thing I say to somebody is, oh, hello, how are you? And often people look so taken aback at being asked how they are. I mean, they're not going to tell you their life story or really how they are. But it seems that people are so accustomed to not being asked how they are that you can really see it making Do you mean difference. in a shop? Yeah. So if I, I go to the supermarket, the first thing I do is put my basket down and say, hello, how are you? And I genuinely register it on people's faces a lot of the time that, oh, my God, somebody just spoke to me like I was a human being. And I don't want to make myself a hero in this, but I'm just saying that. You are a hero. Well, I am. I mean, we don't. You're the hero we don't deserve. (laughs) But that's a tiny thing that you can do. That's an example of a tiny thing that you can do that I think just makes the world slightly better incrementally. Which is important. Yeah. And also making people feel good about themselves. I can sometimes find that I default to a compliment in lieu of knowing what else to say. So I'll be chatting to somebody and I can't think what to say. I'll go, I like your shoes, just for something to say. As long as it seems sincere. I mean, it's now. depends on the shoes now. Some people have taken advantage of our new email address, haven't they? Yes, they have. Thank you for emailing in. Chat at cheerfulpodcast.com is the email address. Um, oh, I have something that I wanted to ask people about. Go on. So yesterday, we took my son to a fancy hotel for afternoon tea. This isn't something that I don't think I've ever done in my life before. But he really wanted to do it. And we we told him that he could pick a treat after doing a particular thing. He's been going through a hard time. He has, yeah. So um, so, so he chose, and I really don't know where he got this idea from, but he, he chose afternoon tea at a fancy hotel and he specifically asked to go to Claridge's in London. How think, a seven-year-old knows that that I was place thinking, exists. Do you think it could have come from like a book that he was reading? Like Maybe. it was a children's book. I wondered about that. Yeah, I've got no idea how the name of that place. We should ask him. Yeah, yeah, we should. He's got this thing. He likes fancy things, so he will quite often um, wear a bow tie. Wow. There is a gap in the market for uh, a children's clothing shop for the eccentric child. Putting that out there if anybody wants to start it. But he, he really wanted to go for this afternoon tea. So so we went there and it was so great. They made such a fuss of him. When when we arrived, I didn't even give our names. Uh, the service was so good. They said to him, ah, you must be Eugene. Come in. We've been waiting for you. We'll show you to your table. And they made such a fuss of him and they, they were so brilliant. And it was such a great experience. But my question that I wanted to ask, and I know we have people who listen to this podcast who know a lot about history. I want to know, did anybody ever eat the meal afternoon tea with regularity? Because it is enormous. What is this, sandwiches? Yeah, so first of all, you get like a stack of sandwiches. Like triangle sandwiches? Uh, Not at Claridge's, they're oblongs. Oblongs. Yeah, with the crust cut off. And then you get scones and um, jam and cream. Which order do you put the jam and cream on? I never know the answer to that question. Well, isn't it one of those think, things that it raises I think I know, I'd do the cream first. Me too. And then they bring out a, a, a selection of cakes. So it's my understanding that posh people used to eat afternoon tea. Like Sarah, before she moved here, had the assumption that British people take afternoon tea. But surely nobody was ever eating that much food as a snack in the middle of the afternoon with any regularity. Or everybody in history would have been obese, wouldn't they? Was it an aristocratic thing? think so i don't I mean maybe it's a new world of aristocratic late meals so you have an afternoon tea at sort of four o'clock and then you eat at sort of eight or nine o'clock in the evening is that possible but weren't they having like enormous breakfast with kedgeri and kippers and and then they're eating maybe they had some challenges of <laughs> eating too much i don't eating know eating entire pheasants and roasted pigs for their dinner i'd love to know what what was the 
this meal historically. I'm so tempted to try and look it up. I don't want to ruin it for the listeners, though. Oh, right, OK. Fair enough. Because I often think that as well about the full English breakfast. How often were people eating all that food on one plate for their breakfast? Yeah. Oh? What have you discovered? So this comes from Historic UK, the History and Heritage Accommodation Guide. Afternoon tea, that most quintessential of English customs, is surprisingly a relatively new tradition. While the custom of drinking tea dates back to the 3rd millennium BC in China and was popularised in England during the 1660s by King Charles II and his wife, the Portuguese Infanta Catherine de Braganza, it was not until the mid-19th century that the concept of afternoon tea first appeared. Afternoon tea was introduced in England by Anna, the 7th Duchess of Bedford, in the year 1840. The Duchess would become hungry around 4 o'clock in the afternoon. The evening meal in her household was served fashionably late at 8 o'clock. Uh-huh. There you go, I was right! thus leaving a period of time between lunch and dinner. The Duchess asked a tray of tea, bread and butter, brackets sometime earlier the Earl of Sandwich had the idea of putting a filling between two slices of bread. (laughs) Did you you know I once shared a lift with somebody who's like the Earl of Sandwich in the house of, he's a lord, the Earl of Sandwich, and I did chuckle to myself. So I thought, well, you're the ancestor of the bloke who invented the sandwich. Oh, wow. um, I, I always wonder about that. Do you think nobody nobody had ever had that idea before him? And put something between two bits of bread. Surely he wasn't the first. So she asked that a tray of tea, tray of tea, bread and butter and cake be brought to her in the late afternoon. This became a habit and she began inviting friends to join her. This pause for tea became a fashionable social event. During the 1880s, upper class society, women were changed in long gowns, gloves and hats. For their afternoon tea, which was served in the drawing room between four and five. It traditionally consists of a selection of dainty sandwiches including, of course, thinly sliced cucumber sandwiches. Did you have cucumber sandwiches? Yes, we did, yeah. Scones served with clotted cream and preserves, cakes and pastries. So there you go. I just want to make the point, though. So she, she would get hungry at four and she was having her dinner at eight. Do you not think that seems excessive to have all that? Presumably it'd take you until five to eat that. Would you really be hungry enough for well, it dinner it depends how eight? much you ate of the afternoon tea you ate, I suppose. Yes, yes, these are questions that need answering. Are you somebody who can go long periods between eating? Yes. My, my wife is one of these people who <coughs> has to snack on something every 45 minutes because of her blood sugar, whereas I can go the entire day and then just gorge at dinner time. And I think it works out far better for her than it does for me. But you look in good shape. Mm. You don't get hangry. I probably do, actually. I, I probably do. I probably am a bit of a snacker. What's your snack of choice? Oh, Something from the healthy vending machine. I had a thought, by the way, on that, which is I was on the train the other day. And as you may have known before, I've thought train food is not brilliant. I suddenly thought there's a, a concept here, which is delivery to people while they're in on a train. Isn't that we, we had that conversation about yes. Indi- India? Yes. Didn't we? Yeah. Yes. I thought it was quite a good business idea. That is a good business idea. So You've never said that to me before. No, I know. I'm just trying to think about the logistics of it. You're so, trying to think what might possibly be wrong with it. So you would have a company that had premises, kitchens in both, say, Doncaster and Peterborough, and you'd have somebody get on at Peterborough with pre-ordered nice meals, and then they'd get back off at Doncaster and restock and then go on the next train but one or something like that. No, I more mean that you just do a delivery to a train station while people are going through the train station and you'd find them in the two you know in the three minutes that it's in the train station it's a lot to ask of the courier that isn't it what do you think could go wrong well you've got a very very slim window leave it leave it you couldn't make multiple deliveries and you can't leave it with a neighbor really no (laughs) okay you can't really give it to the next train okay (laughs) 
let, let's maybe jump that junk that idea. Yeah. Shall I mention some of our emails? Yes. Um, my old friend, Rich Roger Meager, has emailed. Listening to your last rather sobering but necessary chatteroo made me think of Ministry for the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson, a future guest maybe. Now, I've heard quite a lot about Kim Stanley Robinson. I think he's sort of at the junction of science fiction and climate. Uh, he's a novelist. People really rave about him. Uh-huh. Uh, then she says, when Emily talked about her child comments on the BBC programme, it does once again raise a rug to an issue of when you, young people have a say in the future. Is that another topic for perhaps discussion? Uh, perhaps for some people who will live with the effects of further climate change, a chatteroo for the under-12s. I like that idea. I, I do too. Enjoy the chatteroo as much as the cheerful podcasts, but maybe a more cheerful one next, lads. And for you, Jeff, here is your old chum after possibly his first wild swim before he was a cold water aficionado somewhere in Canada a few years ago. It is extremely nice to hear from Roger. Roger was my sort of sometime running coach. Yes, um, I remember you mentioning I, him. The running is slowed down, I'm afraid, Jeff. I hate to report this to you. Does that mean you're running more slowly or you're running less frequently? Both. Okay. Maybe the two are connected. In the Doncaster Park run that I do which I think I've done in 24 or 25. I was sort of crawling in 28, 29 the other day. Get back on the park run. Will you tell me about this photograph? Here you are. Is this in Canada? Oh, it's in an amazing place called Cortez Island in Canada, the home of mushrooms. Hang on, it can't... What, mushrooms originated from there? No, it's, it's, it's known as a particularly good place for mushrooms, and there's a famous mycologist. Uh, have I not told you this story? No. Uh, there's a famous mycologist who lives there, very, very famous mycologist who lives there called Paul Stamets. Um, and a friend of mine, uh, well, somebody I got to know on the course I was doing there, he went to visit Paul Stamets because he'd heard so much about him. And he came back with a mushroom hat, a hat made out of mushrooms. Uh, and the only problem about this hat was you had to keep it in the fridge because otherwise it really <laughs> went, went mouldy. But honestly, he was genuinely a mushroom hat. That must have been so disarming when somebody popped round his house. He said, oh, you just help yourself to uh, milk from the fridge. They open up a fridge and there's a hat <laughs> in there. You'd think they'd gone insane. Yeah. So it's my friend Alex, who um, I met on the course. Right. Um, uh, he um, came back with a mushroom hat. Maybe we could do Chatteroo merch, mushroom hats. That would be genuinely an unusual uh present wouldn't it maybe not a wanted present but definitely unusual honestly but it was it was it was an amazing Cortez Island is an um, a genuinely an amazing place and I met Roger there so uh and that was so that was great and Roger um is a lovely bloke what, what do you think of the idea of involving kids in the climate conversation yeah is that something you do a lot of not enough right. I'm up for it definitely okay this comes from Elizabeth Kennedy who says dear Ed and Jeff I just wanted to write to say I'm so pleased that you remain in the podcast world. I had a panic when Reasons to be Cheerful was ending. I'm enjoying Chatteroo. I was very interested in your EMDR therapy chat. It's changed my life for the better. Last year, I went through a traumatic near-death experience. I was barely functioning. Oh, no. I had multiple EMDR therapy sessions, and my psychologist explained that it was a way to take trauma, neatly fold it up in a box, and tidy it away rather than let it ride over every thought. I can't believe how much this has helped me. Thank you for that, Elizabeth, because I think I was struggling to explain how it was different to other therapy. Are you still doing it? I haven't for right. one reason or another, but I'm, I'm yeah. desperate to get back on it because I think it's... Uh, well, it's interesting. Maybe it's we should brilliant. talk about it on a, pod- on a podcast or something. Yeah, it'd be good to find out. Um, just, just get the nuts and bolts of it from someone. Definitely. You know, if you heard us talking about it and you thought, oh, maybe I should try that and maybe it could be helpful, then it'd be good to have somebody who actually understands it rather than me 
bluffing my way through. Now, this one comes from Joseph Nash, and it's entitled Citizen Zoo. I'm reaching out to let you know about a London-based organisation I currently volunteer with called Citizen Zoo. Having been part of the team to reintroduce beavers to urban London, a species missing for over 400 years, Citizen Zoo has also released water voles and large marsh grasshoppers, amongst other projects. We're particularly committed to urban rewilding, focusing on community engagement to bring nature closer to young people. We understand issues such as disability and economic disadvantages can be barriers for people connecting to nature. This is something we're trying to challenge. We're optimistic about the future at Citizen Zoo and we want to spread the message. I thought this sounded great. I mean, firstly, if you uh, see a large marsh grasshopper when you're doing your swimming gad or a water bowl, it could well be Joseph who was responsible for it. So interesting. It is, and um, it's exciting that they're working on reintroducing beavers as well. They've reintroduced, I'm looking at their website, they've reintroduced 5,505 wild animals. They've got 1,000 volunteers. They've got nice, cute pictures of beavers. Oh, and a nice bird here. Can I tell you about an idea I had, which um, which relates to this? You go on. So this morning I was reading a thing in the uh, Guardian about Sweden, about how they are... As you do. As, as I do, you know, anything about Sweden. There I am, straight there. Swedophilia. Yes. And um, they're, they're reintroducing a form of national service. It's quite limited, but now young people are having to fill in questionnaires to see if they would be suitable for conscription or not. And um, this is because Sweden is joining NATO in the process of joining NATO. And I know national service was, was a big thing up over there until I think the 90s. I've got friends who've done it. Now, I was thinking, what about a form of national service? But it's not about trying to uh, drill discipline into young people. It cuts across society like jury service and it's um, rewilding task forces. Now, I think I understand this. I think the thing is, lots of people have talked about this in the, over time. I think the question is, by making it compulsory, does it make it sort of better, things better or worse? In other words, is there a sort of forcing people to do it? Is that going to, you know, it becomes... Make them more resentment. Yeah, 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 that is the... So that's, I think, the part... I mean, I think that's part of the problem. I was thinking more about how it would force, um, you know, a a CEO to spend a week with a checkout worker or a a welder to spend a week with a loss adjuster. Yeah, that it would cut across divides in society as well. Oh, what you mean is just very short amounts of time. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because you see lots and millions of people volunteer. And so I think there's a sort of scepticism that making acts, which slightly gets back to our kindness discussion maybe, making voluntary acts into compulsory acts, does that undermine the nature of the thing? Do you see what I mean? Do you not think, though, that most people don't volunteer? And for, for very good reason, people have stuff going on in their lives. But if, if people were put in a situation where they were doing that and interacting with different kinds of people, they might think, oh, actually, I quite like this. And it would encourage volunteering <clears throat> rather than discourage it. What age would you do it at? Across the ages. And it would be uh, one of these things it'd be really difficult to wriggle out of as well. It wouldn't be like rich people and um, powerful people could wriggle out of it. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, let's see what our listeners think. Or if you've got any ideas like that, where you think, I'm the one with the answer to fixing society here. You're saying you are, you are the answer. Yeah, I think that'll just fix everything for us, yeah. The email address is chat at cheerfulpodcast.com. 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, do you want to talk about wellness? Yes, uh, I read um, a really good piece by um, Andre Spicer earlier this week, which was about the amount of money that companies are spending on employee wellness. So it was $61 billion in 2021. It's projected to be nearly $95 billion by 2026. And this is all these programs that um, workplaces offer. It could be anything from uh, yoga, exercise sessions, diet plans, health, food, education, um, sleep, movement apps, all this stuff, right? So this is, this is a big trend with workplaces. And um, it's tech companies, isn't it? Yeah, but I think it, I think it's gone beyond that. I mean, if you look right. at those numbers, we're not just right. talking about right. that very specific type of company that has ball pools and slides for employees anymore. Um, anyway, so he highlights that there's been a new Oxford University study which shows that this stuff has very little significant, statistically significant impact on worker well-being or job satisfaction. Which is surprising. Yes. And then, you know, he looks into the question of what does make a difference. And it's things like improving pay, making sure that people are on secure contracts, making sure that people have some kind of flexibility and control over their schedule, having career paths and opportunities for developing your career and and mentoring. And I thought that was really interesting because if companies are so focused on the bottom line then I wonder how different it would be to put those resources that they're putting into employee well-being into the kind of solutions that he's talking about that actually make people feel better. I mean, it's so like, would, interesting, Would it cost it? more or less? It's so less, presumably. Uh, and there's also a study in the article from Birkbeck which says that, comes to similar conclusions, the most effective way to improve well-being in healthcare workplaces included cutting back pointless bureaucratic procedures, reducing the length of meetings, improving staff rotors and giving employees a sense of psychological safety in their team. Is it basically that the problem with this is that it's kind of after the fact, you know, it's kind of after the fact? Yeah, so if, if you if you have a, a, an organisation where people are feeling stressed at work, why not just take away the stress in the first place? It's a good point. Yeah, although I do fancy one of those stand-up desks. Do you? I just feel more energised when I'm standing up. I'm a, I'm a real slumper. Did you ever watch that thing, Episodes, with Tams and Grey? Oh, yeah, yeah. And there was one of the characters who was constantly on a sort of yeah. treadmill desk yeah, doing their exercise. Although, do you not feel that some of your best conversations and ideas come to you when you're walking? Definitely. Like, I love a walk and talk. It's very West Wing. So what does that... It's interesting, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm now thinking about your standing desk thing. You wouldn't want to be standing up all day, though, would you? No, but often when I was doing the radio show, I would stand while I was hosting because I felt that it just made me a bit more energetic and focused. I'd also have the studio freezing cold because I'd heard that's what David Letterman used to do. And what was the... The main effect was seeing all my colleagues shivering and having to start wearing cardigans. There you go. I'm mulling over your standing desk thing because we are probably too... Is it sedentary? Well, I definitely am. I don't think that's your problem. But what about this idea of... um, you have better conversations when you're walking than when you're sitting. 
Justine and I found we have very good conversations when we walk. Yes, I've found the same with Sarah. What is the reason for that? I sometimes wonder if it's about a lack of eye contact. <laughs> no, there must be something about getting your endorphins moving. Yeah. Talking maybe, your endorphins, sorry. Maybe you could, maybe you could uh, maybe you should do an experiment. Maybe like the next two meetings you take, instead of getting them to come to your office. Walking. Go for a walk and see if you get through more. You pretty can't do that with more than one person, though, can you? No, I don't think so. Otherwise, you can't have five look, people. On a walk. No, it looked look like you're on a march. You need to take. Well, it's just more hard to sort of coordinate <laughs> yes. the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talking endorphins, I'm very relieved the weather has broken because it got very cold. Didn't oh, it? yeah, it really did. Are you feeling it in your bones? Well, I'm feeling it because I'm about to go swimming this morning, and I I think it's going to be pretty cold. The water, but. At least it's warmer outside. It actually froze this week. I was in our local park and I saw ducks walking on the duck pond there. So yeah, I, mi- I missed. I missed out on that. Have you got any uh, any idea what it might be today? Well, it was three point nine last Sunday, and we're talking on Sunday, so today I suspect it's probably colder. Don't you go trying to prove what a strong man you are by staying in there for too long. I worry about you when it gets this cold. Really? Well, we've talked well, about on the podcast. It well, it's got a lot warmer outside. I wonder how long it takes for the water to warm up though. Pretty mm, quite a long time. That's the yeah. thing. Well, you hey, You got to wear your gloves. Definitely. You taking your zapper? Get an accurate reading before you get in there. No, I now trust Dan's readings. I think the zapper. You it's know, been retired. The zapper's yeah out of action. Maybe donate it to the British Museum. That's true, actually. <laughs> the Barman exhibit. Yeah. Um, well, enjoy your swim, and before you go, we should uh, just say we'd love to hear. From people, thanks definitely. For, thanks to everybody who email, emailed in this week. Uh, if you've got any, th- if, you've, if you've got any little kindness hacks that you use, we'd love to hear from you. Also, how often did people really eat afternoon tea? Yeah, um, and, and we could extend that to the full English breakfast as well. Oh, um, and, and any thoughts on any of the other stuff we talked about? I'd be interested to hear what you think of my national service task force biodiversity rewilding team idea conscription and also the, the workplace stuff i bet people have got interesting thoughts on that too or anything else people would like us to chatteroo about the email address is chat at cheerfulpodcast.com see you later alligator in a wild crocodile